Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I am Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. Please be seated. And Sandy is going to share the word with us. So the Old Testament lesson is uh, happening uh, this is during the time that Israel is a country, and there's often this struggle between Israel's God and the gods of the neighboring areas, uh, and one of the big neighboring gods was Baal, uh, and that is one that is uh, mentioned in this passage. It's actually kind of a humorous passage in its, uh, in its own way, and God triumphed. So. The Old Testament lesson today is from 1 Kings chapter 18. So Ahab sent to all the Israelites and assembled the prophets at Mount Carmel. Elijah then came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets number 450. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is indeed God. All the people answered, well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. Then call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So they took the bull that was given them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, crying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. They limped about the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, surely he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he has wandered away, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Then they cried aloud, and as was their custom, they cut themselves with swords and lances until the blood gushed out over them. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no answer, and no response. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come closer to me. And all the people came closer to him. First he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to contain two uh, measures of seed. Next he put the wood in order cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood. He said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Again he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time, so that the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and said, 
O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord is indeed God. The Lord is indeed God. Our gospel lesson is from the Gospel of Luke, and uh, actually we will be, uh, this summer, the lectionary gospel text. Uh, for the rest of the summer, are all out of the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to actually be reading kind of in order uh, through the Gospel of uh, Luke's Gospel this summer, which should be interesting, I think, kind of fun to do that. And so hear now and listen for how God is speaking to you through these words of Luke's Gospel. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people and is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I am also a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Well, there are in these, these two passages, the Old Testament and the Gospel lesson, uh, a couple men here who take risks. Two men who take some risks born out of their faith and rooted either in their trust in God or their willingness to at least for a moment give up their lack of trust or for a moment believe that this God can be trusted. At least for a moment to dare to trust. And part of this maybe is It was because they had a goal. They had a clear vision. They had something that they wanted each, uh, Elijah and this centurion. Elijah wanted to show that God is God and the only God. And the centurion wanted his slave uh, in good health. He wanted him to be healthy again. They had something that they wanted to see done, and they took they took some risks, took some risks, uh, risks of faith and of trust in these stories. Uh, and I was reading these, maybe it's just because uh, uh, the Old Testament lesson uh, 
kind of reads like an adventure movie. But I got to thinking about Indiana Jones. And, and maybe, uh, probably not all of you have seen it, but many of you have seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Crusade that third movie, movie that uh, Indiana Jones is in search of the Holy Grail, the cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper. And Indiana Jones is seeking the Holy Grail, and when they finally find out where it is, it's out in the, in the desert, middle of nowhere, uh, hidden in a cave, and there's a couple of booby traps on the way into the cave, and Indiana Jones has some clues to get him through those. And he gets through the first two, and, uh, and, and is walking toward the grail, kind of finally can almost see where the grail literally is, and as he walks, he comes out through a big doorway, and he's on the edge of a a cliff, huge chasm, very deep chasm, and very far on the other side is the cave that he knows that the Holy Grail is in, and there's no way to get across. There's nothing there for him to get across. So here he is on, on this side, and the goal, the thing that he wants is in a cave on the other side and in between this chasm that's so deep that it might as well go on forever. There is this abyss, this void in front of him that goes down into infinity and the only clue that he has says, only in the leap from the lion's head will he prove his worth. The people that hid the grail left these clues behind <clears throat> Only in the leap from the lion's head will he prove his worth. And Indiana Jones is on the, on the edge with this book with the clues in it, trying to figure out what it might be, uh, what it might mean and what he has to do. And he finally realizes that he just has to trust that whoever hid the grail, he has to trust that whoever hid it made it possible to find it, that it is findable, that there is a way to complete this quest that it is a puzzle that is solvable and, do, and doable. And Indiana Jones has to find it because his father has uh, just been shot by Nazis a couple hundred yards away and is dying. And they're out in the desert. And, uh, and the grail is the only thing that has the power to heal his father. There's no way they're going to get him to a hospital in time. And Indiana Jones is not a believer. He's not a believer. He is an archaeologist, but not a believer. But his dad, uh, Sean Connery plays his dad. His dad is a believer, and he has been seeking the Holy Grail for decades. That has been kind of his life's work, finding grail lore and trying to figure out where, where this grail is. And for his dad, this is an act of dedication, an act of faith to want to find the grail. For Indiana Jones, it was, uh, it was more just the pursuit of an archaeological relic. That didn't really mean anything to him. But now his dad is dying. And so the grail quest becomes for him an act of devotion. To heal his dad. To heal his dad. So he must trust that there is some way across this chasm. That there is something that will allow him to cross. He has to trust that the clues that his dad had discovered are real clues. And he's not a truster, Indiana Jones. And now that's all he has left. It's the only thing that's going to save him is to trust. So he gathers up his courage. 
And he puts a foot out over what looks to be this chasm and steps forward. And there's no way to recover from that. If he's going to plunge, he's going to plunge. So he commits himself to it and he lands on a bridge, an invisible bridge. And he's able to walk across and find the grail. He has to take a risk of faith. And he finds the grail and it heals his dad. And there's a big fight with Nazis and an earthquake. And if you haven't seen the movie, uh, watch it and you'll find out how it all ends. But it's this powerful moment. I think that that Indiana Jones, who is this this academic archaeologist that sees the world more as, as history and as relics, but he's not a man of faith or a man of belief. He's stripped of all his academies and his rationality and his reason and this worldview that he had. And he's left, the only thing that he's left with is, is to trust in his father's faith, to trust that his father was right so that he can heal and save his father. And the centurion in this story of Jesus, very much like that, very much like that. The centurion is Roman. He's not Jewish. He's not a believer in Jesus' religion. He's not part of his race. He's not part of his country. He's completely uh, as different from Jesus and from, the, and from Judaism uh, just about as, as one can be. But he is the same in that he has the capacity to love and to care. He cares for his slave. He wants his slave to be healed. And there's no reason for him to believe that Jesus was anything but uh, uh, just some crazy man from the desert or has no reason to believe that Jesus, if he is a religious leader of, uh, of these Jewish people, he's still the leader of what was to Rome, kind of this fringe, old, weird religion that was not their religion. He has no reason to trust in Jesus. But he wants his slave to live. He has a goal. He has a a vision. And like Indiana, in the end, all all his wants are thrown away. Uh, You know, Indiana, all of his wants are thrown away except wanting to save his father. And the centurion has all his wants thrown away except his want for his slave to be healthy, to live, to be whole. And once the centurion had that clarity of thought, taking action becomes easier. And so he calls for Jesus this healer that he's heard of. Was it a last-ditch effort for the centurion? Maybe. Maybe. Was this just one of many, uh, a shotgun of attempts that, uh, that he had tried uh, every cure or possibility that came his way? Perhaps. Was he grasping at straws? It could have been. But none of those make it any less an act of faith or a leap of faith or a risk of faith. He still acted. He still acted and took this risk. And he takes many risks here. He takes the risk that his slave's life is actually worth the effort to save, which certainly would not have always been the case for slaves. He takes the risk that help for his slave actually existed, and was findable, was possible. He takes the risk in believing that it could be done. 
He takes the risk that if he helps to save this slave, uh, then all of his slaves might expect similar heroic measures from their master, from the centurion. And then the centurion even takes the risk that, of saying that Jesus doesn't even need to be there. Jesus doesn't even need to be there to actually uh, to heal the slave. That he can do this healing from far away. I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word. And I know, trust, that my slave will be healed. There's a risk of faith and a risk of trust. To risk that, uh, that Jesus, unseen and unpresent, can still be who he is. That Jesus can act from a distance. To risk that an act of love, that stepping out uh, into nothingness, into the abyss, into the void, toward Jesus, or to risk that calling out to Jesus from within the void or from within the abyss, to risk that that is doable. To risk that an act of love, even if it seems dangerous or foolish or not in your best interest, to risk that an act of love is worth far more than not acting, than not taking the risk. To trust God and to trust Jesus that if we love, if we love, if we act in love, if we take risks of faith because of love, then Jesus has our back. Jesus will support us. Jesus will guide us through. Jesus uh, will give us the Holy Spirit to have the power to do uh, what Jesus wants us to do, which is not to say that we won't have our lives turned upside down or changed or uh, that the status quo will become different through that. And maybe the promise is that it will be changed, that our lives will be different by taking those risks of faith. It will be changed more and more and more toward our ultimate goal, our focus, our vision, which is to be a follower of Jesus. And to trust, to trust in the promises, to trust in God's love, to trust in Jesus' words, to trust even if just for a moment that God is God, that God truly is God, and that what we do here is true. And what we do here is true in here and out there outside these walls, especially true out there in the world amongst our neighbors in Eau Claire and in Wisconsin and in the world, to trust that what we do here is true and it's worth taking some risks for. Amen. And that is the good news for this day and for all days. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast. 
If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, this is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.